Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Popcorn Optional, a weekly movie podcast where we talk all things movies. And this week we're reviewing the directorial debut from comedian Bo Burnham, a film known by the name of 8th Grade that has been making the rounds and seems to be quite the hit uh, critically and commercially. Uh, before we get to our review, we're going to play a game of MovieCast Mad Libs, and as always, we'll end our review with our content of the week recommendation. My name is Cameron Slanina, and I am joined by my co-host, Trevor Allison. Oh yeah, good to be here talking, I guess, almost a high school movie. So, I was about to say, the question that I, that was on my mind was, you know, Trevor it loves high school movies, so we'll see if that translates to middle school movies. I can't really think of a middle school movie off the top of my head. Yeah, nothing that's like authentically, specifically middle school. Like, I mean... Max I guess, Keebler's big move? <laughs> Ooh. Um, I, mean, like, I guess you could probably say the Goonies. Those kids may have been in middle school. Oh, I think uh, I don't know. Maybe they're younger. I don't know. But yeah, I guess this Stranger is, Things is middle school. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But this is like very specifically and intentionally a middle school movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Goes deep into middle school, but uh, unfortunately, Jake couldn't be with us tonight. He is off doing amazing freelance things that. Um, that are blowing up the internet. I don't. That's that's literally true. <laughs> that's literally true. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Jake uh, recently went freelance doing cinematography, and he shot a commercial that you may have seen with Phil Mickelson for a company called Mizzen and Main, uh, where Phil Mickelson dances and dodges golf balls on a driving range. So Jake was the cinematographer on that. So go check that out. Just look up uh, MoveLikePhil.com. And you will find that. So, yeah, pretty big deal, that Jake Brown there. So, yeah. all right, well, let's go ahead and get to another game of MovieCast Mad Libs. This is a game that we like to play from time to time where I will read off a character description. I'm just reading off generic things. You know, a male in his 30s, lead, uh, physically imposing, things like that. Things to give you an idea of, here's the type of person that we're looking for for this role. What Trevor doesn't know is that I have picked a movie and all of these descriptions are for significant characters from that movie. So the last time we did this, we did Princess Bride. So I would say things like, um, this guy has an inconceivable way with words. That was the last one, obviously, because that would give too many things away. But I will give a character description. Trevor will take that character description, cast a modern actor in that role, and then at the end I'll reveal what film we've been talking about and we'll run through who Trevor has recast in every single role. So let's go ahead and get to movie cast Mad Libs. Let's start off with our first role, which is a male in his early 30s. This is somewhat the antagonist of the film. He's, he's the rival of our lead, uh, very physically fit, He's okay. somewhat cocky. Okay. Um, he, he plays that like cocky, confident okay. role very well. I want, I want a like jacked up Miles Teller. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> I was waiting for when Miles Teller would make it onto this. All right. So jacked Miles <laughs> Teller, um, hands of stone, Miles Teller. Here we go. Uh, next up, a male in his 50s. He's the mentor to our lead character. He's the top of his field, and he's strong and supportive, um, but he's also very stern. So, like, almost like, think like a, like a principal. 
but Ooh. like okay uh that type of thing um how about david harbour david harbour okay that's an interesting He's maybe not quite role. in his 50s but it seems like it could fit him how old is david harbour i feel like david harbour is one of those guys that like could play he's 43 i actually actually, okay i I actually have no idea how old he is he's 43 so maybe a little young do you want to um um pick somebody i think we're looking for someone a little bit older okay okay what about let's see i have a feeling you'll be able to use david harbour in a little bit okay um 50s stern what about um oh man can clooney be stern I think Clooney can be stern. Can be I actually stern think, enough? yeah, ah, I think yeah, I actually so. think that's a very good. Yeah, let's do let's do Clooney. We might be blowing the budget out on this thing, but let's do Clooney. But that's we're not picking a sensible cast for our budget. We're picking who would be a dream cast for these roles. Right, right, exactly. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna read this one, and I have a feeling that you may be using David Harbor, but let me just read this out. So a male in his 40s who's very hard and tough on the male lead. He's kind of that guy that that pushes the male lead. He's not necessarily the rival, but he's this like antagonizing figure uh, outside of things, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like a not quite as on drugs Chief Hopper. I don't... Like, is Chief Harper supposed to be on drugs? I know that he's like a little bit alky. Okay, well, yeah. He's not, yeah so maybe, yeah. R- r- yeah, I mean, okay. Right. Chief, what if... Okay, Let's go down this rabbit hole for a second. <laughs> Chief is just on LSD and Stranger Things is just his mind trip. <laughs> you know? And at the end he wakes up and his daughter's like, he's been asleep for 11 minutes. And his daughter's revealed to actually be like this girl who looks just like 11. <laughs> that would be a very lost thing for the Duffer brothers to do. Oh, that would be, that would be. I would. Uh, I'd hate that. But anyways, David Harbor. I, you know, I, I, let's let's get back to this. Um, okay, another male, thirties. This is kind of somebody uh, who who has a smaller role, but they need to be kind of command that time that they have on screen. So think of somebody that would not take away from a film, but if you kind of threw them in for a, a a ten minute scene, that's somewhat critical. They could they could hold their own in that scene. Thirties. Maybe early. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, he can be anywhere in his thirties. Anywhere in his thirties. Um, I'll take. Uh, I'll take Joseph Gordon-Levitt for this. Ooh. Okay. And if Ryan Johnson ends up directing this film, then we know that Joseph Gordon-Levitt will be in it. So <laughs> cool. Probably so. All right. So let's cast kind of our three main characters now. This is a male. He's in his 30s. He's the best friend of the lead. He is the comedic support of the team, but he's somebody who can um, hold his own in dramatic scenes as well. So it's not like don't think of like a comedian. Like this isn't Jim Gaffigan. This is like he's a funny guy, but like if you were to like get into his grill – he could have some good words for you to fight back. Okay, I know you said not a comedian, but I'm going to give you a comedian because I think that he can also do this, and I'm going to pick Kumail Nanjani. Huh. Okay. 
huh <laughs> is this gonna is this about to get super weird <laughs> i mean it's it's mad libs that's that's the thing um that's a very think, oh my goodness i think he like, showed in the big sick that he can he can do some levity as well as being funny okay okay there's a couple scenes i, I i'm gonna bring something up as soon as we get to the end of this that's gonna make kumail nanjiani's casting absolutely perfect um <laughs> Okay, this is our female uh, love interest to the lead. She's tough, confident, highly respected. She is like the linchpin for a lot of the emotional moments in this movie. So like female 30s, um, that is like a very critical piece of this film. I'm going to go with someone who's not nearly as famous as she should be, except she's about to be, and that's Brie Larson. Huh. Okay. I think Brie Larson, I wonder how, well, I don't, I mean, I don't care about her age. I'm curious if she can play. She's 28. Um, too young. I think she could do this role. Okay. I think she could do this and I'd be willing to bet. I need to look it up. Oh, hold on. Give me one second. I'd be willing to bet that the person who was in this role. Oh, she's the exact same age as the person who was in this role. All right. Let's go. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, let's cast our lead. Male, late 20s, very independent, cocky, uh, doesn't always understand the ramifications of his actions, but he's he's very... Think of somebody who, like, when they're on screen, they have a super commanding presence. Like, they are the person who is everybody's eyes are on. It's like that great line from Fast and the Furious about Dominic Toretto. You know, he's like gravity. Everything is pulled towards him. Man, that's a that's that's such a it's such a tall order. Yeah. But you could also like so maybe this person isn't that way right now, but somebody that you could see being that way in years to come. Like somebody who this is the movie that kicks them into like complete and utter stardom. That has like those inklings of greatness. And if they get that one role, it's going to kind of throw them throw them up in the air. Like everyone I can think of was like in their late twenties five years ago. Um, so like, th- throw out just throw out some names. Let's get some names going for people who could be playing this role. I mean, let's see, late twenties. I mean, I th- I thought um, I kind of thought Casey Affleck when you were telling me telling me, but it's a little too old. Yeah, Casey's in his forties. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, like we we kind of need this person to play that. That that like late twenties. Um, what what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like naiveness, but like that. Um, immaturity. Yeah, like somewhat. Yeah, I think immaturity is a good word for it. But like oh, through that immaturity, you kind of. I kind of thought of Lucas Hedges, but he's too young. Um, um how old? Like I actually. Ooh, he's like twenty two. He's twenty. He's twenty one. Okay, wait. Do you know how old Bo Burnham is? He's he's like the same age as me. He's like 27, 28. Yeah. I didn't I, like he got his start. I always remember that he was super young when he got his start. Yeah. I didn't realize he was still in his 20s though. That blew had, my mind. He had a Comedy Central contract at 18. Jeez. Yeah. What a career. Um okay, I like like oh man, if Lucas Hedges Lucas Hedges in 5 years w- it would be perfect for this role. Let me say that. What I about, like what about I'm not this is this might end up making things super weird, 
But what about um, Dev Patel? I could see Dev Patel. It makes... Okay. Can I have this? I mean, it kind of makes makes the casting... I mean, awesomely diverse, I guess. But... Yeah. But I I think... Now that I'm thinking about it... Dev Patel's late 20s? Yeah. I think that Dev Patel kind of fits... Fits what you're talking about. I think he can do that. I this is you've went a completely different direction <laughs> than I think anybody else would have gone, and that's the beauty of this game. So, are you? Do you want to lock in Dev Patel as your lead of this film? Yeah. Let, why not? Let's let's just do this thing. All right. So let's take this opportunity to go ahead and plug Newsroom once again. If you oh, haven't man. seen Newsroom, Dev Patel's in it, and he's fantastic in it. His character is just. Oh, that third season arc for his character. So yep. good. Newsroom is my favorite fairy tale. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. There are so many moments in like news nowadays that I see happen. And I'm like, man, I would have loved to have seen how that played out on Newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really. man. Okay. Well, Trevor, you have just recast for Modern Times one of your all-time favorite films. Trevor. You have just recast Top Gun. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. It is awesome. You did a great job. Okay, so let's run through this list. For Iceman, <laughs> the male in his early 30s, uh, played originally by Val Kilmer. Uh, you know, you can right. ride his tail anytime. That's right. Miles Teller. Okay, who's actually going to be in the new Top Gun? Who's Weird. actually? I was so just like I wanted to suggest like so many times. I'm like Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell would Glenn Powell be Glenn Powell, Glenn Powell would be great for this. Um, okay, Miles um, Teller could do Iceman. I think. I think that. I think Miles Teller could do very well. Like you can see the the um the scene I always think about with uh Iceman is the scene where he's like the dangerous scene. Uh-huh. Like you danger. Yeah, I can see him pulling off that scene very yep. well. Yep. Um, for Viper. Played originally um, by Tom Skerritt, uh-huh. who is the mentor. Uh, he's in charge of the Top Gun Academy. Uh-huh. You have George Clooney. Yeah, with a giant mustache. Yeah, I'm t- like I, George Clooney's a great role for that. Oh yeah, that would be awesome for Jester. Uh, I would also originally make, if I on- was remaking this, which God knows it never needs to happen. That character would never take his sunglasses off. He would just only nope. have sunglasses on the whole time. Yep, even when he's flying, okay. entire time, <laughs> under his like shade on his helmet. Um, I think they tried to remake Top Gun though. I think it's called Stealth with <laughs> oh Jessica Biel, Jamie Fox, uh, oh. Josh Lucas. Yeah, um, for Jester, played originally by Michael Ironside, you've cast David Harbor, who is okay. perfect for yeah. that role. Yeah, you're right. Like I am. Like if we're remaking Top Gun, I wouldn't pick. You couldn't pick anyone better than David Harbor for that. Yeah, role. I agree. For Merlin, originally played by Tim Robbins, who is a late addition to the cast, he kind of comes on and helps Mav late in the film. You cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay, yeah, a little little JGL stepping in, giving some guidance. Okay, I, I think this is the one kind of. This is the one that would be hard, like. I, I think JGL is a lot bigger than people give him credit yeah, for. Yeah, I think... It yeah, would be I weird would, to see him just like... Because I don't think Tim Robbins was like a big deal back no, in 1986. No, I don't think he was either. Yeah, so that would be... that. That's interesting. It almost need to be like like somebody who's, who's uh, busted their chops on TV and done a really good job, something like that. Yeah, there's a couple of people that I could see doing this. Oh, what's his name? 
He's on a new so- show called Succession on HBO. Um, he was in oh, what's that film that Adam Scott, not Adam Scott, um, Adam McKay did about the financial crisis? Uh, the Big Short. Yeah. Uh, where's his name? Jeremy Strong. Oh, okay. He was also yeah. in Molly's Game. Yeah. Okay. I can I see, see Jeremy Strong doing very well in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. As Goose, the classic, classic character that just made us, you know, understand, you know, what making foreign uh, communications truly <laughs> meant. Uh, Anthony, originally played by Anthony Edwards, you've recast with Kumail Nanjiani, which okay. I love for so many different reasons. And there's like... <laughs> There's this really interesting, like, when you look at the fact that you have Kumail Nanjiani and Dev Patel playing our two Top Gun pilots, there's a really interesting, like, war angle to all of this that you've kind of done. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. With, you know, Kumail being from Pakistan, uh, Dev being from India of the, like, there's this, like, like, social commentary angle that this could almost be played at. Um, So Kumail playing Goose, I don't really want to see... You know, spoiler, if you haven't seen Top Gun, it's been out for 32 years now, but I don't really want to see Kumail Nanjiani die in a movie. That would, I think, break my heart. But uh, that's a great, that's a great cast. Um, as Charlie, you know, the one female outside of Meg Ryan in this movie, uh-huh. <laughs> Brie Larson. Oh, and Brie Larson would be so great as Charlie. I didn't realize that Kelly McGillis was only 29 when she shot this role. Wow. Yeah. Like she plays that role very commanding for a twenty-nine-year-old. Uh huh. I agree. Brie Larson's twenty-eight, so I, I I think that's a perfect, like, spot-on cast for that that role. Um, and then as Maverick, the lead of the film, played by Tom Cruise, you cast Dev Patel. All right, you know, great, I could, great balls of fire. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. It would. This would be a really a really interesting kind of thing. Yeah, I. I I'm down for this cast. Like this is a good cast. Um, there's not really like the only one that sticks out is JGL as Merlin. Yeah. Um, but I mean, how are you going to cast like, Hey, cast a young Tim Robbins before Shawshank or before he really kind of made his break. Like, uh, Ty Sheridan. Uh, no. Right. So, right. I don't, it's, it's a tricky one. I think you did a good job. Um, now that you've said Lucas Hedges, I'm like, I want Lucas Hedges in all these roles. I want him to play Charlie. I want him to play Jester and Viper. Like, yeah, Lucas Hedges in everything. Yeah, um, for real. It's just, the whole movie is just him and Timothy Chalamet playing all the characters. I will say, I was waiting for you as Maverick to say Ansel Elgort. Yeah, that he crossed my mind for something else, but I think he could. That's I think that he would be a good a good Maverick. Also, I, I think he'd be. Now that I think about it, I think he'd be an even better goose. Yeah, I think I could see him doing either one, really. You need for goose, you need that you need that laugh. There's that laugh that Anthony Edwards has that's like makes him so endearing. That scene where they walk by and he's like, Oh, where do they put the plaque for the second place? Oh, it's in the ladies' restroom in the <laughs> yep. Oh, that laugh. Yep. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, Trevor, congratulations on recasting Top Gun. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our review of Eighth Grade, the directorial day de- or the narrative directorial debut from Bo Burnham. I should say that Bo has directed a number of stand-up specials. I think he directed his own stand-up special. I think he directed Make Make Happy and What back in 2013 and 2016. 
Um, oh, and he directed, that was the other thing. He directed Chris Rock's new yeah, stand-up special tambourine. on Netflix. Yep. Yeah. Um, but this is his first time directing a narrative feature-length film. So congrats. This film is absolutely killing it. On opening weekend, it made a little bit over $63,000 per theater, which doesn't sound like a lot, but on a per screen basis, that's the highest that any film has made so far this year. Uh, out like that's more than Avengers infinity war made on a per screen level. So if you take all of these screens that this played on, it only played on four screens and divide up the total weekend box office. This made more money than Avengers infinity war, which is just nuts. Um, so congrats to eighth grade. Uh, it's slowly kind of growing and it kind of finally got to the opportunity. Trevor, when you said that this was playing in Waco, I was out of my mind because uh-huh. uh, yeah. it's only playing in three theaters up here. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that it was, was coming to Waco. Yeah. Uh, and they just announced, well, I, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, that eighth grade is now going to be holding free screenings across the country that won't enforce the R rating. In other words, kids who aren't 17 but want to see this film, there will be a special one-day first-serve kind of screening thing on August 8th, which is this Wednesday, where kids can go see this movie uh, and not be that age. Because there... Trevor, you put this well. What did you say about why this film's R-rated? I mean, it's it's R-rated for language, but... From my experience as a middle school teacher fairly recently, I would say that there's a pretty much nothing in this film that kids that go to a public middle school or even a private middle school do not hear on a fairly consistent or daily basis. So, so let's kind of weave this into our general thoughts, but yeah. do you think this is a film that's important um, for like middle schoolers, high schoolers to see? Because I actually think that like, bandwidth wise of those grades it's pretty it hits a wide range of topics and emotions that like Uh a lot of kids in that range could probably relate to yeah i think i think you're right i think that it's it's good for for a lot of people to see i think it's even more important for parents to see yeah i think that anyone who's a parent of kind of a middle class suburban kid um needs to see this film if, if you're yeah. if your kids are somewhere nine ten all the way through high school i think you need to see this because as like i said speaking from experience as a teacher pretty recently this is the most authentic modern representation of of what kids are like that i've ever seen yeah and um, it's, it's that's interesting that you bring this up we're both former teachers um trevor you said you taught middle school i taught high school uh, at a school here in the area and taught a range of grades. I'm, I taught electives. And so it was anything from ninth, 12th grade. And I, I think I laughed at this movie so much because of that experience of like <laughs> how accurate some of the stuff is in here. Like it's creep. Like the fact that a 28 year old Bo Burnham would understand the intricacies of 13 and 14 year olds blows my mind. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't think that yeah. half of this stuff could have been said any better. Yeah. The word that I keep coming back to when I think about this is just authentic. Like it just feels yeah. so real. Yeah. It feels straight up like he went into a middle school and was like, tell me about your day to day life. 
because for the most part, and I, you know, even from my middle school experience, this film's incredibly accurate in how it depicts one, the awkwardness of that time. Uh, I didn't have social media when I was in middle school and high school. Like, I think I got my space, like my sophomore year, maybe of high school, but it wasn't what it is today to where it's these zombies of kids going around and everybody's curious, like how many likes did you get on this photo? How many, who didn't like it? Who did like it? And it's this barrier between reality and social media is wonderfully like broken down. And it's, it's so funny that it comes from Bo Burnham, who is somebody who got his start on the internet when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he almost probably understands this better than anybody could. Right. I mean, this guy blew up when he was 15 years old making comedy sketches on YouTube. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I think I think it comes from a very real place. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it. I loved this movie. Uh this is if I'm going to like give this movie a equation, this is like the cringiness of Scott's tots from the office um, mixed with the the comedy of sincerity of like a John Hughes film, but told in modern times. Uh huh. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a pretty good way to kind of sum it all up as far as um, kind of reference points for people. Um, did like so? I, I can't remember having laughed as much as I did in this movie. Uh, it was got to a point where it was kind of awkward because I think I laughed too much. Oh man, I I laughed definitely more than anyone else in my theater. There was there was one other guy that was laughing at about the same things that I did, and I think he had to have been a teacher or a former teacher as well. Um, just because of the things that he was laughing at. But there were times where I was like, 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 like rolling around in my seat pretty much. And people in front of me aren't moving at all. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is hilarious. Yeah. There are some scenes that got a pretty big reaction, but on the most part, there were all these little moments that were so like, and that's, that's the thing about this movie is this movie gets incredibly detailed in how it depicts this. Everything from like in the beginning of the film where, uh, Kayla is doing her YouTube video and she seems like she has it all going on. She's like, Oh, sorry, I'm reading this off of paper. Like you think that she's reciting this. That's such a like YouTube starting out thing of like, I have this, Oh wait, no, I'm reading this off of paper. And it completely breaks that. Like what, what a kid doesn't understand in that moment is that completely breaks the point of that message. Um, there's so many, so many, so many, so many little moments like that in the film that are just perfect breakdowns of what this middle school experience is. Uh, I think that, so the other thing is that middle school's obviously changed a lot since we were in it. I think it's 13 years ago that I was in middle school. Uh, and it's obviously changed a lot, but being a teacher, I've gotten to see what middle school is like nowadays for a lot of kids. And surprisingly, this movie, I think, nails a lot of the social dynamics of middle school Uh, between like the popular crowd and like unpopular kids and kids just trying to make friends like it's an incredibly high stress environment. I know that there's a lot of parents out there that think like you're in school, you don't have a job. How stressful can it be? 
but it's so incredibly hard for these kids to just get out there every day because of the expectations of social media and because of trying to fit in and just our society. And I think this movie does a perfect job in capturing what that looks like for a modern day middle school and high schooler. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, my middle school experience was pretty mixed. I kind of, I, I switched schools between seventh and eighth grade, seventh, seventh grade. I was at a really small school. There were eight kids in my grade. We were all in the same class, all did everything together. Um, and so that was, that was all right. That was a decent experience, but eighth grade was, I mean, it was much bigger school, different kids in every class. And it just was not really a great experience for me. It was fine, but I also had some significantly awful experiences and, you know, it just like, it just wasn't great. I don't really like who I was. I don't like, you know, kind of what I was doing or what I thought was important. And I think that the, the, a lot of these things kind of resonated with me, especially the character of Kayla really resonates with me as being of someone who um, just doesn't quite feel like she fits in. And yeah. I think, I don't think this is too spoilery. I guess we're kind of diving into this thing anyway, but it, it seems to me that Kayla doesn't fit in because she's more mature than most of her classmates. Right. But she doesn't realize that's why she doesn't fit in. Mm. So, no, and I think that part of that is that she is longing for something more. Like, even though so much of her personality is on social media, it almost feels like she's using that as a way to get to something deeper. Like, she's so longing for this, like, deep friend, this deep connection with somebody. And she misses it so many times. Like there's so many moments in this film, um, you know, getting into things. Okay. So if you haven't gone and seen this, go ahead and go see it. We're getting into spoilers, blah, 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 blah. You know, the deal. We're going to spoil the film. Bye. Bye. If you haven't seen it, uh, if you have stay with us, the pool scene where she first meets Gabe, she's so like concerned with Aiden and whatever the girl's name is. Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah that she's she doesn't even like really r- register the fact that this person is also like reaching out like she wants to. And then there's uh-huh. that scene in the hallway. Oh my gosh. When it first pops up on screen of the uh school shooting scene. Um the like drill uh, not actual school shooting, but the drill scene and there's that girl who talks to her that like there's a connection there and Kayla just doesn't pursue it because that's not the type of person that she wants. That's right. That's incredibly like intricate into like her. She just doesn't understand. She's so caught up in social media that she doesn't understand like the true importance of what's going on around her. Yeah. And you try, I mean, I remember this from middle school and I think this still kind of sticks with us even today. Like you, you feel like you're you if you feel like pretty confident about yourself and you think you're a pretty cool person, you think you should be friends with all the other people that are perceived as cool instead yeah. of the people that you know you actually have a connection with. Right. And I don't think that's something that necessarily goes away completely when you're an adult. I think it it goes away a little bit. But what she doesn't realize and kind of starts to at the end is that if if she would just kind of, you know, let these things kind of fall where they may and not try to 
try really difficult, but just go through life, find the people that she connects with, like Gabe, and and just kind of move forward those relationships. It doesn't matter what his social standing is or how many followers mm-hmm. he has or who thinks he's cool or not, you know? But and I and I think that's maybe one of the most important things, at least from the social aspect, that a middle schooler or a high schooler could maybe learn from this movie. I know there's a lot of developmental reasons why they're not going to quite catch on to that completely. But right. but I think that that's kind of the big lesson here for me is that it doesn't really matter who your friends are as far as how they're perceived by other people. It just matters like how you connect with them. Right. And that's such an easy thing to say, but I used to, like, I remember I used to say this to like my students all the time in that, why do you care what somebody else thinks of you? Like it doesn't matter what that person who hardly knows you thinks about you because let's face it, they don't know who you are. And like, like it took me a long time to get to a place where I was like, um, my close friends know who I am. My family knows who I am. And as long as I'm not being disrespectful, rude, and as long as I'm being like myself and being like a decent person, I don't really care what other people's perceptive of me is because I know who I am and the people who matter to me most know who I am. Um, I think that's such a hard thing to get to. Like that took me years to get through. I think I was in college before I got to that moment. Mm, yeah. Um, funny enough because we were roommates in college. And I think <laughs> right? that we had many talks about this in college of what, what that looked like uh-huh. uh, in, in like a social setting just because it's so even today, it's such a hard thing. It's like one thing to say it. It's another thing to, to actually live it out and be like, I don't really care what people think about me. The person who I think does that best is my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is one of those people <laughs> who he doesn't like, he doesn't give a rip what anybody thinks of him. And because of that, he's one of the funnest people to be around. Like he uh-huh. has no, he doesn't get embarrassed about things. He doesn't get like anxiety. He just kind of like lives life to the fullest and is like, I'm having a good time. My friends are having a good time. My family's like, I'm good. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk cringy moments in this film. <laughs> let's, or do you, or do you want to kind of get into the ending? Like, do you want to get into the ending and then bring out of it? Or do you want to like, let's, let's go with the cringy stuff. Okay. So let's let's give a ranking to some of like the cringiest moments in this film. There's um there's the there's the pool scene. It's just one. Uh-huh. Uh there's the fired safety thing where she's talking to Aiden. Uh-huh. There's the scene where she's sitting in um, the what's it called? Like the band room waiting to take her superlative picture, uh-huh. and she's like nobody. Like she's hi, good th- congratulations, and like nobody registers. Uh huh. Um, there's the um the backseat of the car with Riley. Okay, so I struggle with whether that's cringy or not because cringy to me like gives me at least in this movie. I feel like there's a difference. Okay. Okay. Let's so let's let's talk about this for a sec. Okay. There are moments in this movie that are cringy, but have to those of us who have lived through stuff like that. You're like, look, nobody's gonna give a rip about that in five years. Like, who cares? Like, that's not like the pool. The pool scene is cringy. It's comical, but there's no like lasting 
Okay. About it. Sure, I understand. The back of the car scene, I think, is like one of the like per like not perfect moments. This it's one of it's a perfect moment where Bo Burnham has been leading you with these cringy moments this entire time. And then he gets to this place where it's like, this is cringy, but not in a, like, like when you watch Scott's tots on the office, I hate to keep bringing that up, but like, I can't watch that episode to the point. It's so cringy. (laughs) You, 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 like you, you cringe with a smile on your face. Uh, You cringe in, in the back of the car moment with Riley in a way that's like, I hate all middle school, high school boys. They're the worst people in the world. Like uh-huh. it's such a heartbreaking moment. And yeah. I like, yeah, I, I don't want to put I, I it agree. in the same category as these other scenes, because uh-huh. I think these other scenes are played with a certain bit of levity towards that is meant to, it hits you like a punch because those other moments of cringe have had such levity to them. Sure. Sure. Uh, I I will say, I, I think another, another cringy moment is the, the whole banana scene in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. When her dad walks in, her throwing the banana at her dad is the perfect scene. Oh, I know. He's also, like, he's just like, what the heck is going on? Like he's just walking in with the mail. And before he knows he has a banana thrown at him. Also shout out, shout out to Josh Hamilton. He is the perfect dad in this movie. Like oh, He plays goodness. the dad perfectly. The way that Bo wrote this character, he also kind of looks like Bo, which tripped me out for a little bit. I spent the first like couple scenes with him being like, "Is that Bo? Did Bo age poorly?" <laughs> like yeah, he, he was does, in the big does, sick a year ago. He, he doesn't look that old. He does look a little bit like him. That's true. Um, but Josh Hamilton, not the baseball player, Josh Hamilton, actor Josh Hamilton, he is uh, he's perfect in this role. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Uh, well done. Well, well, well done. Um, okay, so what's the cringiest moment in this movie for you? I think, oh, I don't know. I, for me, it's between two. Like the whole situation of the safety drill, yeah, is just like their whole conversation. Like I wanted to just like, like crawl on the floor away. Yes, yeah. But then just how much I felt for her when she was congratulating people in the band room (laughs) and no one was responding whatsoever was, I don't know. They were kind of different for me, but those are kind of the two for me that really stood out. The pool scene was by far, it was like a 10 minute from the second that she enters the house or really like leaves the bathroom after like getting ready Uh to like the end of her karaoke scene. Yeah, and, and is, the unwrapping the gift. Oh, the unwrapping of the gift is so bad where she's like, it's a card game. And it's like everybody else had been giving her like Ulta gift cards uh-huh. and makeup, to, like all this like superficial garbage. And it's yeah. like, oh, and the, like the long take that Bo does of like out of the bathroom into the backyard uh-huh. uh, and then like quickly intercuts. Uh, like other shots from the pool uh, and then like her getting into the pool and just like sitting there. Like the fact that it's so cringy because she goes from point A to point B without anybody ever saying anything and without her, like you could tell like she almost prefers that nobody say anything to her. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so there's so we talked about the scene a little bit in the car with Riley. Um, Riley is introduced as you get this wonderful moment with this character, Olivia, um, who Kayla shadows with on a high school day. Olivia just completely is like the dream shadow. Like she's, she takes Kayla under her wing. She's not embarrassed to be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I have a middle schooler following me around for the day. She's like, here's my phone number. And the whole entire time it's, I I felt this way. There's a movie called the way, way back, um, which is actually one of my recommends this week. Um, that is this whole movie. You're waiting for Sam Rockwell's character to have that like slip up moment where he like snaps at the kid and is like, why are you following me around? Like, I'm just trying to be nice to you. Like, stop boring me or like, or something to where it's like, you know, you wait for that kind of moment in these movies. Uh huh. Yeah. That's how I never get that moment. I know. That's how I was with Olivia too. I kept on waiting for it to happen and it never did. She's just a sweet, kind person. Right. And, or you're like, you're waiting for her to like be some sort of bad influence. Like, Uh Oh, here's drugs or here's, X, Y, or Z that's not like that you shouldn't be doing at that age. Uh And she never is. She's like, she's there the entire, it's like, she is the like dream character for that. She does like the way that they wrote that is just so heartfelt of like, man, if there were just more people like that in high school and that's the, like the truth of it is that in my high school experience, the majority of kids that I met were like that. But I feel like there's these kids that give high school is a bad reputation because they're so obnoxious and like, I don't know the right way, but um, the majority of the kids are so nice like that to the point where they're like, they'll, they'll help out anyone around them. At least in my experience. Uh huh. Yeah. Shout out to all my former students. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, so I struggled with what's what's the message that we're trying to get out of this because in slice of life movies like this i feel like it's very much your experience of what did you get out of it and so um i have a couple of things that i got out of this film but trevor what 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 were some what well, what did you feel like this film was trying to say about the middle school or high school or adolescent experience i think it's it's trying to I mean, maybe this is just, I I don't know if this is what Barnum is trying to do, but it almost feels like he's trying, he made this film so that adults could see what kids have to experience. Right. And, and I think that's what, I think what you're supposed to get out of this is that, is that, um, you know, the world, I mean, as it is for every group of parents and kids, the world is a different place for the kids than it was for the parents when they were that age. And I think it's easy for people to forget that. Um, But everything is constantly changing. Um, And so I think that this is a good, a a good way to kind of see from a completely outsider perspective, completely harmless for you to watch this film, of course, but, but to really see how, like how your kids experience life, like the social anxiety that she deals with and the, that dichotomy between knowing what she should be doing or knowing what she could be doing to make herself happy, but being so unable to do it because it's hard. 
And yeah. so, so I think, I think, I, mean, I think it's good for kids to see this movie, but I think the target audience is adults um, just to kind of get a little bit better of a glimpse into what life is like for the kids these days. <laughs> I'm curious. Cause on the opposite side of that, for a movie that's so much about middle school, I also think that there's a message for those kids of their parents, um, uh-huh. of their parents, like just trying to like relate to you, trying to get an understanding of what you're doing. And they can't do that if you don't let them. And I think this movie for all of the ways that it demonstrates middle school, it also demonstrates parenthood and what it's like to be a parent. I mean, I have, a one and a half year old. I don't have a teenager, but of things that I've seen parents of kids, those ages go through. And it's, it's, it's so beautiful in the way that it handles these two. I mean, so it's like 90% middle school, 10% parent, but then it like at the end, at the scene after, you know, the dramatic moment in the car between Riley and Kayla, where things kind of, go sideways. I mean, not as bad as they could have been, but just in a, like there's some emotional, like heavy things in that scene. You get the scene between Kayla and her dad that I almost feel like it's important for kids to hear that because I feel like any parent feels that way about their kid. And so whether or not the parents saying it, it would be good for kids to hear that because Believe it or not, like that's what it is. Like, I don't I mean, Trevor, you can tell me if it's different for you, but like, I'm like, my son doesn't make me sad. He doesn't make me any of these things. He makes me proud day in and day out. He makes me happy day in and day out. And mm-hmm. even in like the hard times when it's hard to be a parent, even of a one and a half year old, it's still like, this is the coolest experience of my life that I get to have a son. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. It was kind of like, it was weird being on the parent side of it, even from like a young kid age of like, that's, I mean, that's a hundred percent how I feel about my son. Like, yeah, I'm proud of him day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, and it's not, it's not, and it, the great, I think the great thing here is we see, in a lot of these kind of movies, we see like the kid is being dumb, but the parent is being dumb too. And right. so they, they kind of grow together. But I mean, from the very first time we see him, he's like telling her how cool he thinks she is and how she's so yeah. great and doesn't need to worry about all these dumb things. And I, and I love that he's consistent with that throughout the film. Right. And there's that beautiful moment when he's like, Oh, I thought I wrote down in my phone. Like this guy cares so much yeah. about his daughter <laughs> that he has notes on like, she doesn't like bananas. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, the whole movie you're kind of questioning like where's the mom and all this and he reveals like the mom left before she could even walk like it's been him since uh-huh. very early on and I can't imagine how hard that is like my wife's been out of town for five days on a trip and I've been uh, by myself with my son and I mean it's been fantastic but it's like everything's amplified. Like the challenges <laughs> and everything are, are amplified to the nth uh-huh. degree because it's, it's just you. Like you can't have a bad moment and like snap over nothing because <laughs> like your kid's going to pick up on that. It's just like, you have to be on and you have to be like there for your kid at all times. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, right. 
I haven't. So coming out of this kind of thing, I want to say um, something about the Kayla Gabe dinner scene at the end. So Kayla, our main character and Gabe, the kid that she met at the pool early on in the movie uh, who ends up also being Kennedy's cousin end up getting together for dinner. And I haven't laughed that hard in an individual <laughs> scene in years. Oh man. It is. It's so awkward and so sweet and so yes. delightful. The it's fact the, that he has all these McDonald's sauces, he got every sauce and he is willing to give her one of his because he likes all of them and doesn't mind trading. Yes. Oh man. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and then the award thing, he leaves like next to her plate. He's like, Oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to leave this award <laughs> off, unless you wanted to. No, it's you like, wouldn't want to. See, it's you like, want to see it? Yeah, it's like not a big deal, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a perfect, like, in that moment, I'm 100% going, Gabe is the best character in this movie. I I'm, want a whole movie of just Gabe. Like, if it's my dinner with Andre, but my dinner <laughs> with Gabe, and it's just Kayla and Gabe at the dinner table for an hour and a half. Hundred percent in for that movie. I'll buy a ticket to. Oh yeah, I mean, if my if my kids turn out to be like Gabe, totally, totally feel like I did a great job. Right. If I end up like if Oliver graduates high school and he's like, man, I really, I don't know why I just did that voice for the son. He doesn't have. I don't think he'll have an accent like that. Where he's like, man, that's a cool movie, Dad. But if he walks out of high school and he's like, man, I really identify with Gabe. I'd be like, dope. You like Rick and Morty. You like Szechuan sauce. Uh, you like McDonald's. We got to talk about that because that's garbage. But, uh, other than that, you're a pretty dope kid. And I look forward to your handstands in the pool. Um, with plenty okay, of space. So, with plenty of space. And when the water is not so uh, agitated and ripply. Uh, okay. So let's, let's take a, let's take a, a page from high school here. And, I wanted to do a whole section on like a mean girls burn book, but I think that's against the point of this movie. So I don't want to, as I thought about it, I even sent it out to Trevor and like notes. I was like, let's do a burn book. And then I'm like, how high school is that to be like, let's rip on all the characters that are bad. Like you watch this movie and you know, who's bad. So we don't need to highlight it. Um, anybody that wears a thrasher tee, uh, and flips off all of his friends probably isn't the guy that you want to be hanging out with. <laughs> so let's give superlatives though for the good people. So most likely to brighten up your day is Gabe. Yeah, definitely. The good. greatest, greatest, like I'm like when this movie comes out, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to watch that Gabe scene anytime I'm having a bad day <laughs> because it's that, it's that joyful. Um, most likely to melt your heart with an emotional speech. Mark day. Yeah. Mark Day, what a gent. Yeah. Melted my heart. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't ready for the emotions from that scene, but it was one of those scenes where it's like, I went from laughing super hard about Kayla burning her hopes and dreams to borderline tears. And just uh, the way the, the physical acting that, um, Elsie Fisher does in that scene of just like jumping into his arms Yes. is is was was astounding it was just yeah. per- absolutely perfect we haven't even really talked okay one, one more spoiler really quick most likely to change the world olivia there are more kids out there like olivia the world would be a lot better place that's right just be nice to everyone guys just, just be, be nice. nice how hard is it just be nice don't be don't be a jerk to people just be nice 
If you see a kid sitting by themselves, high schoolers, middle schoolers out there, go sit next to the kid and say hi. Like, I was that kid. I literally sat by myself when I went to a new school in middle school, and I had a, a random kid, still remember his name, Andrew Finnan, came up and sat next to me and, like, invited me to sit with all of his friends. And that's how I met my group of middle school friends was because somebody else, just out of kindness, came and sat next to me. So, it's intimidating. Go just be nice to somebody, people. Jeez. Not that hard. Um, okay. We haven't really, I don't know how we've gotten through a whole review and not talked about how great Elsie Fisher is as Kayla. She's, this is, this is like her movie. She's, she's in every scene. There's nothing that happens that she's not involved in. She's amazing. And, and what makes it even better is, and I don't know if she knew this was happening while it was being shot, depending on how they did it. But there are so many close-ups and super close-ups in this yeah. movie and just kind of the vulnerability that she has to have mm-hmm. to do that is incredibly impressive for a 15 year old, which is how old she well, is in real life. Right. And that completely adds to the side of this is a middle schooler playing a middle schooler. This isn't like when you go see mean girls and it's like, isn't Lindsay Lohan like 25 She's supposed to be a junior. Yeah. This is like, that's the same year. Rachel McAdams was in that the same year she was in the notebook. Mm. Okay. Well, that gives some perspective. Right. (laughs) Uh, But this is like Elsie Fisher's 15. Uh, She's 15 now. I think she was 14 when they filmed this. Like she was a middle schooler. This is like her age. Uh, So respect to Bo Burnham for actually casting somebody. Like he could have cast anybody in this role. And he cast the seemingly no one who he could, he understood that casting somebody who wasn't as big of a deal, not that I could name, like if you were to ask me, I I was going to do Mean Girls. Disney Channel or something. Right. I was going to do for our movie cast Mad Libs Mean Girls, but then I was like, Trevor, how many high school girls could you name that (laughs) that would play? I'd be like, "Uh, I have no idea. So that quickly got thrown out. Um, Elsie Fisher. I hope you have a huge career ahead of you because um, yeah, you are she's amazing. great in this. And yeah. I mean, really, there's all the other characters kind of come in and out. It's just her and Josh Hamilton for a lot of this movie. And they're both just absolutely fantastic. And I think um, I think that speaks, one, to their talent. And I think it speaks to how well Bo Barnum was able to share his vision of this film with his actors. Mm-hmm. which I think is but, something that is not as easy to do as it sounds like it might be. No, not um, at all. But I think that Bo does that because he has such an understanding of the emotions that are important in those scenes. Like he's able to identify like in this scene, here's what the audience should be feeling and very much like films it that way and gives you that emotion from every aspect, from sound, from cinematography, Uh from editing. He makes you feel that emotion. Yeah, I mentioned the close-ups a minute ago, and what that does and what it conveys is this film is just as much, if not more, about what's happening in the characters' heads as what's happening around them and the actions they're taking. Right. I mean, this is... There's there's probably a solid like 15 minutes of this movie, screen time-wise, where there's no dialogue 
And it's just almost her either like surfing Instagram or the web. Uh And it's just like her reacting or not reacting, which is even scarier. Right. Right. Just this like blank stare. Right. Uh, And that's, I think that to make that interesting shows the kind of command that he has over the scene. Mm -hmm. And, and, and Elsie Fisher nails the way that middle schoolers, abruptly change direction when they perceive something going on around them about how she's like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Oh yeah. No, no, I was, I was just kidding. I don't really like that at all. Like that's something that middle schoolers do constantly just because they're trying to fit in with everyone else. And she just perfectly executes that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So getting to the end of our review, I want to start doing something new towards the end of the reviews. in addition to, in addition to our ratings, who is the MVP of all of this for you? Like who's the, what's the part that you would go back for time after time? Um, like the, like the part I want to watch again or no, like who, who, who's the, who's the MVP? Like if this is a basketball team, who's the LeBron James? I think who's the guy, who's the person who is most important to this movie. I'm going to go ahead and set a precedent here and do a cop out of, I think it's a tie between Mark Day, Kayla's dad, and Olivia. I think mm-hmm. I think that that Kayla's experience with Olivia um changes kind of the trajectory of how she thinks about things. Um yeah. she's she goes from thinking this is my last week of middle school, how am I going to make the most of being a middle schooler to forget about this, I'm moving to high school and things are going to be better. And um it takes an awful experience with Riley to really kind of sell her on that. Um, right. Which is unfortunate. And it takes her having this like revelation with Kennedy's character and Aiden's character of like, right. I don't want those, want to be those people or be with them whatsoever. Right. right. So I think, but I think that, that Olivia is kind of the biggest catalyst, but the constant support of dad throughout the film is, is what kind of guides her along that path. Mm-hmm. It's that like, And I think as a parent, it's that message of like, just be there for your kid. And when they're ready, they'll open up and, and talk. Yeah. And I mean, I I don't think that he does everything perfectly in the movie, which I think is, is great. I mean, we don't Mm -hmm. need to see parents who always make the right decisions. Is it in a perfect situation? Would he want his daughter to ride home with two high schoolers he's never met before? Probably not, but also he's in a precarious position with his daughter relationally, and he j- she just caught him spying on her at the mall. So right. you can kind of see where, you know, as, as, as I was watching this, I was thinking as a parent, I was like, I would never let my kid ride home with two high schoolers I've never met before. But then nope. also you're like, I can see where in that specific situation, why he allows that to happen. But I also think, at least my interpretation was like, he doesn't necessarily know that they're, that they can drive. Like maybe, because none of them look like seniors, at least yeah. not to me. Yeah, I guess like that's they could true. easily be freshmen. And he's thinking like, when she's like, I'll get a ride home, I'm going to grab a ride with one of their parents. Like at least like me as an outsider looking in, that would have been my perspective, which then scares me because I'm like, geez, I read that completely wrong uh-huh. or would have. Um, my MVP of this is is Elsie, and I think Elsie Elsie Fisher. I think there's a handful of people Bo probably could have cast that would have been 
maybe had more social media following or something like Disney wise to where like they might've been able to, uh, get more of like, I don't know, like from the time, the short period of time that I worked, uh, with film stuff, people were so like concerned with how many followers a certain actor had, because then that meant a certain number of people that would find out about their movie. Like it was worked into their contract. And so part of that is like, he, out of all the people he could have gone with, he goes with Elsie and it's the perfect casting choice. Like she commands this role from beginning to end in such a vulnerable way that no, I don't think anybody else at that age could have done at least nobody that I've seen on screen. Yeah. She's so, great. um, all right, well let's get to our final thoughts and ratings for eighth grade. Trevor, how many grades out of eight do you give this? <laughs> This one was just too easy, wasn't it? Um, something we it didn't. Was. You kind of touched on a little bit. The score in this is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. it's so great. It's 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 very modern, but um, and I think captures a lot of of the feeling of the film. Um, we didn't talk too much about it, but I think this is a very good film technically in a lot of ways too. Um, I loved this movie. I thought it was really good. One of the three or four best movies I've seen this year. Um, I don't think it's quite going to get the recognition that like Ladybird got last year. Um, mm-hmm. it's not quite, it doesn't quite have the mass appeal, but I think it's, um, almost as good, not quite, but almost as good. Um, would love to see maybe like a best original screenplay nod for Bo Burnham. Cause I think that yeah. would be deserved. Um, yeah, overall this is, um, this is like, I'm going to grade this the summer between seventh and eighth grade. Out of eighth grade, <laughs> oh, it's, that was um, a good summer. it's not quite perfect. I think it there's there's a f- maybe I don't know th- what it needs necessarily, um, but it wasn't quite perfect for me. But but I think it does everything that it wants to do, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, I I, I was a I was a big fan of this movie. Like I said, I laughed quite a bit in this movie. Uh, there's. Uh, I have such respect for the way that Bo doesn't like shy away from any topic. He kind of just embraces it and goes all in towards it and embraces the awkwardness of everything. And I I just so respect that from a artistic angle of telling a real story. So um, I'm a big fan of this. If he wants to go the before sunrise route and make, uh, you know, senior year or 12th grade, and then senior year of college with Elsie once again. Oh yeah, I'm a hundred percent down for him to make one of these. Like Bo, go make another movie, make another original uh, thing. I'd be pumped for that. And then in four years, come back and give us senior or twelfth grade or senior year, or whatever you want to call it, because he approaches this with such sincerity that I want more of it because it's so so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. That's uh oh well I'd give this an A. I didn't give my rating. It's an A. <laughs> Solid movie. Uh yeah, I liked it a lot. Well very, very well done. Uh Scott Rudin is a producer on this. Scott Rudin was also the producer of Annihilation. So <laughs> apparently Scott Rudin's having a pretty great year as far is, as is yeah, having a good year. He also did Isle of Dogs. Uh so yeah, and then he has mid nineties, the Jonah Hill movie coming out later this year. Which looks like for no something no, else. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what Ooh. ends up from that. That could be a range of things. That could be like great, 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 or it could be meandering weirdness. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be but once again, Lucas Hedges. That's right. Like, Lucas Hedges. Let's go. I mean, he's got he's got another big year between that and Boy Erased. So uh Lucas, you'll be getting your Oscar sometime soon, I'm sure. <laughs> That's all we have for a review though. Let's go ahead and get to our content of the week. Trevor, what is your content of the week? Okay. Mine are kind of weird this week, or at least one of them is. I've I've been uh, I don't know rediscovered, but it's been a while, so I picked back up this music album, and it's been out for about eleven years now, and I think it's the perfect version of what it is, and that is <laughs> the album Minutes to Midnight by Linkin Park. Oh my god! And this album. Never did I ever think that a Linkin Park record right uh, would be referenced on this outside of like, oh, okay, uh, I don't know. That's. <laughs> Which one's Minutes to Midnight? It's it's their third one. It's got um, Bleed It Out and What I've Done, Valentine's Day, Hands Held High from 2007. Oh, Hands Held High. Uh-huh. Is yeah. that the one that where Shinoda raps? Yes. Yeah. It's a okay. it's a um, criticism of of like uh, American foreign policy, war culture, that kind of thing. Okay, um, I remember that one. Yeah, this album is. So it's basically a pop album pretending like it's several different genres like rap and hard rock and metal and new metal. But this is a really accessible album for how hard it is. And it's just a joy to listen to. If you like a little rock and roll, a little rap, a little a little bit of some good hooks in your music, a little bit of social criticism, then go back and listen to Minutes to Midnight. I've been enjoying it. Um, right. my other my other thing is a comic book series. I may have mentioned it before, but I want to make sure that it gets talked about. And that's the um, the Miss Marvel series from 2014, written by G. Willow Wilson. It's collected in seven volumes that are four or five issues each. And Miss Marvel is um, in this in this iteration is a a young girl of Pakistani descent who lives in Jersey City. Um, and it's just kind of the friendly neighborhood Miss Marvel. It has very much kind of a Spider-Man undertone of serving the neighborhood, being in high school, dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, and you also get to deal with um, this girl who is Muslim and Pakistani, kind of assimilating in culture, trying to be a superhero while while kind of trying to meet her, her parents' cultural expectations as well. So it, it's very interesting. I highly recommend uh, Miss Marvel. And supposedly the rumor, at least, is that there will be a Miss Marvel movie in Phase Four of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Which Universe. Which would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be that would be legit. Uh, okay, I have two high school movies I just want to plug really quick. Uh, one being The Way Way Back, which I talked about earlier, directed by Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, who also wrote The Descendants. Uh, you may also know Jim Rash as the Dean on Community. Uh, they directed it, wrote it. It's also starring Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Allison Janney, Anna Sophia Robb, uh, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph, and the main cat, uh, kid is played by Liam James. Very, very well done movie. And then there's another movie uh, by director Jordan Voigt Roberts, who did uh, King Kong or Kong Kong Skull Island, uh, with no- Nick Robinson, Moise Cyrus, uh, Gabriel Basso, and Nick Offerman. That is uh, one of my all-time favorite high school movies. Kind of takes place of like these kids are just fed up of living at home in high school. And so in the middle of a summer, they go out and build a house in the woods. And it's just kind of about their adventures living out in the woods on their own after running away. It's, uh, it's pretty good. And then speaking of Nick Offerman, my wife and I watched the premiere of a show this week 
called Making It. Now, imagine the Great British Baking Show, but hosted by Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, and it's all about crafting. That's what I wanted this to be. I'm so glad to hear it. It is... We were both so frustrated when it ended because we realized that it was just one episode on Hulu. (laughs) And we were like, no, we need more of this now. Like, this is a show that, like... I could binge a solid five seasons through happily and not get bored of it whatsoever because the things that they make are genuinely unbelievable. Like you think like, oh, it's a bunch of people just crafting. No, the things that people, these, the things that these people make is like art. It is incredible. And then you just get the awesomeness of Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. So if that's your thing, go watch that now. That's all we have for this week's episode, though. We'll be back next week with a new review and episode. And I don't know what we're going to be doing. Uh, It kind of depends what's playing where type of thing once again. Uh, It's kind of between two things. It's either we go see the Meg and we embrace... (laughs) We embrace the Jason Statham shark movie that supposedly is exactly what you would expect of it in a good way. I was I was telling a coworker the other day I want Jason Statham to only just make a transporter movie every two years. That's just, it. That's just, all you want. That's all I want. I love the transporter movies. They're awful and they're hilarious and they're fun. Let's just okay. But what if rolling. the transporter movies all of a sudden go on the ocean? Yeah. He's on a jet ski. And there's a giant <laughs> shark. There's a body in the trunk. What? There's a body. Nope. Nope. I don't think that works. Um, so it's between the Meg and then Spike Lee's new film, Black Klansman, starring Denzel Washington's son. Uh, oh, Jordan. John David. John David. Is that right? John David Washington. Yes. Uh, former football player. And Adam Driver, Topher Grace. Uh, and that has been getting crazy good reviews. It's kind of a matter of, I don't think Black Klansman's rated. Oh, no, it's rated. There we go. Sorry, I didn't see a rating, which then I was like, well, it's definitely not playing in a wide release if it doesn't even have a rating. Um, so it's kind of a matter of what we can get to. Um, I'm going to be real honest. As a fan of the Fast and the Furious movies, there's a big part of me that just wants to see the Meg. And uh, that's my type of action movie. But man, does Black Klansman look good. So, Yeah. We'll uh, we'll be reviewing probably one of those next week, and then go from there. If you enjoyed listening to us, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review us. Uh, I can't believe I just said subscribe and rate us after seeing Eighth Grade, but you know Gucci, as they would say. Ah, uh, uh, you stole it from me. I was gonna do it during the sign off. Oh, dang it. Okay, I'll uh, I'll let you do it at the sign off. Okay. Jake, just cut. <laughs> just cut. Just cut. if Jake, if you don't hear this, then uh, audience, we wanted to cut that. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to us, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review us, share us with your friends and family. Look, we loved this movie. Uh, we're proud of the work we do here. And the greatest way for us to grow is just by those who listen to us, sharing us uh, with your friends and family after you guys see a movie. Uh, if you want to know more about us, you can go to our website at popcornoptional.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as a little bit about who each of us are. If you want to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at Popcorn Optional or you can like us on Facebook at Popcorn Optional as well. My name is Cameron Salina. You can find me online at 321 Time. Trevor, where can we find you online? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TurboTrevor. 
You can find Jake Brown online at jakebrown.tv, which is his Instagram as well as his website. Uh, also, we said it earlier, go check out his video that we did. We're incredibly proud of the guy. Uh, he's doing real big things. So until next time, we hope you guys have a great week. Watch some movies. And in the words of the great Michael Scott, we'll be back ASAP as possible. Gucci. Oh, gosh. Uh, it hurts. No. No.